Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 to start with, and then we'll move on from there, depending on how much time we have left. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, we ended our last study by looking at how Jesus called kingdom people, true believers, the salt of the earth. We saw that we're to be engaged in the world so that our salt influence would have a positive effect in the world. And so go with me real quick to John chapter 17. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. And maybe some of you have seen this. Maybe you haven't seen this before. But I really want you to see how Jesus prayed for us as he prayed to the Father in John 17, verses 14 through 23. There's some interesting things that he brings out in his prayer there. In John 17, starting in verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word, that's his disciples, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, Jesus is praying for his disciples and also us. You see here, you're going to pray for those who believe because of their message, and that's us. He's praying. He says, look, I'm going to send them into the world just like you sent me into the world. So when he says you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, keep in mind, Jesus has just been the salt and the light. And now he's saying, as I go back to the Father, my prayer is that, Father, you would send them into the world in the same way in which I was sent. Yes, I understand, Father, they're not going to like them. They're going to hate them because they hated me. But at the same time, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. It's very easy for us to, as Christians to just try to only hang out with Christians. But actually, he wants us to be in the world and be an influencer as the salt, as we talked about last time. And he says, I'm going to send them in the world in the same way that you sent them into the world. And he says, keep them from the evil one. And that's interesting. See, a lot of times we hear that and we think, well, that means Satan will never be able to do anything to us. No, that's not what he's praying here. Because when Jesus prays prayers, are Jesus' prayers answered? Yes. When Jesus prays, his prayers are answered. Because he always prays in accordance with the will of the Father. And if he asks anything according to the will of the Father, you know that you hear, you're heard and you know you have what you've asked. And so Jesus prayed, protect them from the evil one. By the way, what happened physically to all the disciples except John? Even though John went through a lot of stuff himself, they were all martyred and they were all killed. So being protected from the evil one can't be physical protection. It's eternal protection. Keep them. But folks, I don't think we can settle it enough because so many people try to get deceived or allow themselves to be deceived by the enemy. If you've truly been born again and sealed by the Spirit of God, God's holding on to you. You don't lose that. Now, at the same time, he says, I want, this, I want you to sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. That's going to be important later on tonight. 
So we have seen that God told us that we're to be engaged in the world so that our salt influence would have a positive effect in the world. We saw last time that we were together that salt adds flavor, adds a, it acts as a preservative, it produces a thirst, it melts coldness, it heals wounds. Tonight, we continue in this theme as we see that Jesus goes on to say that we, the kingdom people, true believers, are also the light of the world. Now, as we go into this part of the, the lesson for tonight, I want to remind you that this light does not come from us at all, nor can we even manufacture it. It comes from Jesus himself as he lives in us and through us. And that's where we're going to be going tonight. We're going to really kind of break this down. And hopefully by the end of the night, you'll see how important this is that we grasp it, that this light that we have, letting our light shine, is not anything that we produce. It's all Jesus. Go to John chapter 1. And let's lay the foundation. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. By the way, Colossians 1 tells us that who made everything? Jesus. Jesus. So it's talking about Jesus. The Word was with God, the Father, and also was God. Keep that in mind. And everything was made through Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, and he came to his own, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and, we, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from, uh, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Isn't that interesting? He said no one's ever seen God, but God who's at God's side has made him known. So the Bible's very clear that Jesus is the light. It's not you or, eight, you or I. Now I'm going to hammer that home because you say, well, Jim, I think we all understand that. I don't think we do. Because as you're going to see tonight, if we really understood that Jesus is the light and we're not the light, we wouldn't try to do so much in our own strength. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 12. Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Go to John chapter 9. Look at one, verses 1 through 5. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man born blind from, man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or that his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Again, when the Bible says you're the light of the world, are you the light of the world? No, Jesus is in you. But it's because he's in us and we've been sent into this world that we are the light of the world. But get over yourself. It ain't you. It isn't me. It's Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the importance of allowing Jesus to live his life through us. And we'll get to that in a little bit. As we saw earlier, Jesus has now sent us into the world in the same way that he was sent into the world. And as we just said, it's not us, but Jesus through us doing his work and shining his light into the world. Um, we are the body of Christ. We're going to touch on something real quick here. Go to Colossians chapter 1 that we'll hopefully get into in more detail later on in our study. Maybe tonight, maybe further. We'll see how far we get. But we'll go to Colossians chapter 1 and look at verses 28 and 29. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, Him, this is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You're going to see all through the scripture this balancing act, if you will, where Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says that you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But verse 13 says, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And I think over the years, the church has little by little, and there's lots of reasons I could get into tonight about why that is. I don't think they'd be that much helpful for us. But the church has, for lots of reasons over the years, drifted away from allowing Christ to shine through us, and we've tried to shine for Jesus. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? Has anybody heard shine for Jesus? Um, who's the light of the world? It's only him. And the reason that I'm the light of the world and you're the light of the world that Jesus says is because the light lives within us. And actually, during that time period where Jesus was in the tomb, how did the light shine? How was the light looking during that time? How those disciples, how'd they do? Uh, they didn't do too good, did they? They all ran and hid. And he, while he was in the world, he was the light of the world. And there was a time coming, as he said in John chapter 9, then there'll be no light while he was in the, in the grave. But he rose from the dead. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit there on that first night and empowering them to even be able to do what they needed to do until the Holy Spirit came to indwell them. That's caused a lot of confusion over the years to people. But in John 20, in that first night, when he meets them in the upper room and then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, they weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit at that time because it's after that in that evening that he says to them, hey, so you stay in Jerusalem and wait until you receive the gift that the Father's promised you. And that was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because in John chapter 14, he says he's with you, but he's going to be in you. So all, what Jesus did by breathing on them that night was empowering them. You know the Old Testament, you know the Spirit of God would come upon somebody and empower them for a season. And then if they walked in disobedience, he would remove his spirit. That's why David prayed, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He empowered them in an Old Testament sense, if you will, to be able to, be able to even wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. I did a message just recently about how many times Jesus told them before he died and after he rose, go wait for me in Galilee, wait for me in Galilee, I'll meet you in Galilee. And by the way, they never went to Galilee <laughs> until finally he got them to Galilee. They, they couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. I can't do it. Even though we've been saved, even though we've been born again, God never expected you and I to live the Christian life in our own strength. Jesus himself said in a verse we can all quote, in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet we try to do stuff for Jesus. 
the light of the world is in us. But if they're going to see the light, they need to see him, not us. That's why Paul said, I'm working hard. But actually, let me clarify this. I toil and I struggle, but it's actually his energy that's working so powerfully through me. You know, I wish some of you could experience what happens to me when I'm up here preaching and teaching or wherever I'm at preaching and teaching. My family will tell you, I'm actually sick right now. And I met, we have dinner on, on Tuesdays at Wendy's beforehand. There's a group of us that all eat at the Wendy's over here in Indian Atlantic before Bible study. And, and I, I, you ever had a cold? You feel better after you eat a little bit? I couldn't wait to get to Wendy's and get something in me, so I started to feel better. But I knew it would start to wear off. But I told the people there, I said, just wait me get to 7 o'clock. I'll be fine. Because something takes over. Something happens. When I start letting him do his work through me, where all of a sudden I'm invigorated. Oh, by the way, when this is all over, I'm going to be crashed. But right now, I feel good. I have an energy. I, ha I have an invigoration that I can't describe to you. And folks, I want you to learn how to believe that God will do through you what he wants to do through you and the gifting that he's given you. But it's interesting. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, he's just said, you're the light of the world. And in telling us that we're the light of the world, Jesus has to tell us to let our light shine before others. Isn't that interesting? He said, you're the light of the world. And as we've just explained, the only reason we're the light of the world is because Jesus is in us. But then he says, let your light shine. Why would Jesus have to tell us, the light of the world, to shine? We, you nailed it, Michael. Hope you heard what Michael just said. We still have the choice to allow him to be the one in control or whether or not we're in control. That is a daily process. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we all love to quote, but I hope you understand that that's a daily thing throughout the day. Lay in your body on the altar. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, for you King James folks, I beg you in the other translations, I urge you in some other translations, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. By the way, the pattern of this world is living for self, is it not? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in the Greek, that's a daily renewing. Then you'll be able to know what his will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And we're going to get to that passage in a little bit tonight. But I want you to understand that, ironically, Jesus says, you're the light of the world, but now you have to choose whether or not you're going to let your light shine. You see, we choose on a daily basis if we're going to let the world see Jesus or if we'll try to accomplish what only Jesus can do in our own strength and in our own effort. By the way, does anybody remember back at the beginning of our study when we saw the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? What was the ultimate issue or what was Satan trying to tempt Jesus to do? eventually he got to have him worship him, and that's going to manifest itself how? He wanted Jesus to use his own ability to do what the Father would do through him. If you are the Son of God, why don't you go ahead and turn these stones to bread? Could Jesus have done it in his own strength, being God himself? But he would not have been yielded to the Father See, Jesus, even though he was God, he humbled himself. We dealt with all that, the kenosis. He limited himself, and he lived his life totally dependent on the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said, The things you see me do are not me doing it. It's the Father who does his works through me. The same life that you and I are living on this earth, Jesus lived. He could have done everything in his own power, but he only did what the Father allowed him and told him to do. And he humbled himself, and Satan tried to get him to do it in his own strength. Why don't you get people to believe in you by jumping off the temple and the pinnacle of the temple and, and not falling down and hurting, and hurting yourself? And man, people will believe then. But you know what? He could have done something like that. But that's not how the Father planned it. 
And the Father's plan is what he surrendered himself to. Now, I want you to stick with me here because this is a bigger problem than you think. This whole idea of the fact that we try to do things in our own strength for Jesus. Paul addressed this problem in the early church. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2, look at verses 14 through 17. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one, we're a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And I love this. Who is sufficient for these things? For we're not like so many other peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Here the scripture says that God triumphantly takes us in a procession in the world, and He shines His light through us in front of the whole world, and to some... We smell like life. To others, we smell like death. And who's sufficient for such a thing? I mean, to be honest, we've been sent into the world to go tell the world about Jesus so that they may turn to Jesus and be saved. How many of you have any control over whether or not anybody's going to be saved? How many of you want control? Let's be honest, we all do. And that's part of what's happened to us. That's part of the reason why we've gotten where we've gone in the church. Stick with me, I said. This is a bigger problem in the church than you realize. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I may lay the foundation for where we're going to go in these next verses. Because we don't have control over whether someone responds positively to the light or not, and because our flesh wants credit, we often tend to look to man's methods or creativity to accomplish what only the Spirit can accomplish. Let me say this to you again. Because we don't have control over whether someone responds to positively to the light or not, and because our flesh wants credit, oh, and also because we've been taught to measure results, we often tend to look to man's methods or creativity to accomplish what only the Spirit can accomplish. Wouldn't we love to see our churches full on a Sunday? If people are going to come and want to be there, Whose job is it? Who's the one that has the authority and the power to make people want to be there? Holy Spirit. That's His work. Yet, what have we done over the years? Have Pack-a-Pew Sunday. You ever remember Pack-a-Pew Sunday where if you can pack your pew, you can get an award. Or if we have so many people show up next week, the pastor will kiss a pig. This stuff does go on. If you all would just invite one person next week, we can double our attendance in one Sunday. Have you ever heard of this kind of stuff? Have you ever heard this stuff? Without realizing it, we don't realize it. We actually have been taught to measure results, to try to produce results, and we try man's methods to accomplish what only God can do. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verses 4 through 6. So such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God 
who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the spirit, sorry, of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It isn't coming from us. We've just been called to go and share the truth in the power of the spirit. That's it. There's an interesting story I could love, I'd love to take you to, but for the sake of time, I won't, where Paul is, is speaking to a group of Jews. He's in Rome, and the Jews there in Rome have heard about him, but they haven't heard anything bad about him. And so they've heard about this Jesus, so they want to hear Paul talk about this Jesus, and he shares the gospel with them all, all right? And in that room of Jews who all heard the gospel from Paul, half of them turned to faith in Christ right there and then. The others walked away mad. Now, did Paul word it wrong for the people who were, walked away mad? He said it the same way to everybody. Some said, we need this. This is truth. Others were like, you're crazy and we don't even like you. Who's sufficient for such a thing? But what do we do when we share the gospel if they don't believe? We think what? What are some things? Be honest with me here. What are some things we think if we share the gospel and they don't respond? We said something wrong. Keep going. There's lots. It was too long. We don't know enough. I'm sorry? Too short. <laughs> Others will think, well, so-and-so could have done a better job. I, be honest. All of it ties to humans. Folks, you've got to understand, God is sending us into the world. And he says, the world's not going to like them because they didn't like me. And Father, I want you to sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. I want you to get them so centered in your word that they can actually walk into a place and add flavor, produce thirst, preserve the, slow the decay, heal some wounds, melt coldness. Oh, by the way, am I able to do that? Are you able to do that? That's a lot of stuff. But the power of the Spirit can. So we need to let our light shine. How do we do that? We walk into the situation realizing I have nothing to bring, but Jesus is everything. And the only thing I can give them is his word. That's all we have is his word. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verses 12 through 18. Paul says, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. By the way, if you don't know what he's talking about, whenever Moses spent time in the presence of God, he started to get a glow off of his body just from being in the presence. And he came down from the mountain and his skin was glowing in such a way people were afraid. So he actually put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't be afraid. But the Bible also tells us that another reason why he did was the time he spent away from the Lord, the glow started to go down and Moses didn't want the people to realize that he was getting less and less of a glow. So if he kept a veil, they'd think the glow was still there. He said, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over their face to keep people from realizing that what was the outcome, what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Listen, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Oh, by the way, that blows away a lot of Calvinist teaching right there. When one turns to the Lord, then the veil's removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Oh, by the way, many of us have. That's why a lot of us don't tell anybody anymore. We've given up. We feel like we're no good at it. Someone could be better at it. We don't see enough results. And we've lost heart. That's because we think it has something to do with us. Told you the problem's bigger than we think. Oh, you're going to see it. It's even bigger. Keep reading. We don't lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who has said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what Paul said? We don't mess with the word of God. We don't act like it needs help. We just present what it says. Because we believe the word is powerful enough. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to accomplish everything that he sent out for it to do. But we actually don't believe that the word of God's enough. We think they need other help as well. That's why a lot of churches today, if, how many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, how many of you, when you think about the preaching in your church, how much scripture is there really? Be really honest, nowadays, there's very little scripture. It's mostly, let's read a verse, let's close our Bible, and let's talk about it. And they think the power is in their presentation they think the power is in their illustrations. They think the power is in, well, that's because the world wants the illustrations. They want the demonstrations. They want all this stuff, and they don't want the word. People today, Jim, they just don't want the word. So we got to get it. So what? What's the only thing that's going to have the power and has the power to make a change in their life? The word. And Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified ourselves by the word. His word is truth. Sanctify them, Father, in your truth. Your word is truth. Father, I am in them now, and I'm sending them into the world in the same way that I sent, you sent me into the world. And my prayer is that you would get them set apart in the power of your truth, and that's your word, and that's all they need. You don't need anything else. You don't need a juggler. You don't need a band. You just need the word. So it's ironic to me that Jesus would say, you're the light of the world. Now you guys have to choose to let the light shine. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians now, back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verses 1 through 5. How many times have we all said this? I like so-and-so's preaching better than so-and-so's because he, he just, I like how he words things. And I, when I came to you, brothers... I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Without realizing it, the church today really doesn't understand that if they're going to see Jesus, it has to be him alone, and that's through his word. They need his word. Oh, that means that you and I need to know what? His word. You need to know his word, because if you're going to be sharing Jesus, you need to point them to the word of God. It's powerful. It'll do its work. Leave it alone. This is why Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Yeah. They won't see your good works and say, you know what? I really like that guy and they're really impressive. They're going to realize, well, in John chapter 3, we're not going to have you turn there. In John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. And remember what Nicodemus said? He said, we know you're from God because no one can do the things you do unless God were with him. Now, did Nicodemus know that Jesus was God himself sitting right there? No. But he knew this much. This man, Jesus, was doing some stuff that was so amazing. It was obviously not Jesus. It was God working through him. When we allow the word of God to do its work, people might say, you know what? That person did get my attention, but there's no way that person could do it. I've shared this in time or two. Maybe if some of you heard me say this, some of you haven't. I have a bro uh, my brother. I actually got a bunch of brothers. But one of my brothers named John is married to a, a lady named Carlene. Now, Carlene and I have a great relationship as brother-in-law and sister-in-law where we tease each other all the time. But she's many a time said, um, Jim, I love hearing you preach. But the reason I love hearing you preach is because I know what, what comes out of you when you're preaching is not you. I know you. I don't like you. <laughs> and I understand completely what she's saying, and I think it's wonderful. Go to Acts chapter 4. You're in 1 Corinthians. Back up through Romans to Acts. Go to chapter 4. Look at verses 13 through 22. And if, Carlene, you ever listen to this, I love you. I said it. I'll admit it. It's on tape but only in a way to make you uncomfortable. All right. <laughs> Acts chapter 14, look at verses 13 through 22. Sorry, chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, thank you, verses 13 through 22. Now, the disciples are standing before the council, the same group that had Jesus put to death, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. By the way, what lie has Satan convinced you that who's going to be the better one at sharing the gospel? The educated, the reverend. Jim, you've been to seminary. You could do a better job. Do you realize we're crippling the gospel by thinking that it has to be shared by the minister? Actually, if you remember, if you ever heard me teach on this, and don't get me started if you haven't, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Our job is to feed you the word of God so that you would go out and do the work of the ministry, which is sharing the gospel, visiting people in the prisons and going to people while they're sick in the hospital. All the stuff that we expect the pastor to do. Oh, I need my pastor. The pastor's supposed to be feeding you the word. He's not supposed to be doing the other stuff. They saw that they were common, uneducated men. 
And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they confronted one, conferred with one another and said, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed though, uh, through them, and it's been evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They had healed this man. Or actually, God had healed, them, healed the man through them. And we can't deny that this has happened. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. By the way, not only did the people say, okay, it's obvious what happened has been done by God. We can't, it is undeniable. These guys have obviously been with Jesus. They didn't understand the indwelling of the Spirit and all that stuff, but they realized there's something different about these guys. They're common. They're uneducated. This isn't coming from them. So stop thinking the preacher would do a better job. You've fallen to a lie of the enemy when you believe that. Yes, sir. Uh, it's the same today. Speak no more to anyone in this name. We can pray in public all we want, but they say, don't you use that name? It's been, and nothing's, nothing's new. You're right, you're right. Listen, though, I look at what Peter and John do next, though. Keep reading. And when they released them, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and all uh, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love it. After having just been used by God, they didn't walk out of there going, hey, hey, look at us. We stood up to the council. They couldn't do anything to us. No, they actually went back and they shared what God had done. They, because they understood the word and the spirit of God was bringing to their remembrance the things that God had said, they realized this lined right up with the scripture and they prayed that God would give them some more boldness for the next episode. And more power for the next. Folks, I'm going to go down a road that will make some of you uncomfortable, but I'm not going to go down the road unbiblically. I believe the Bible teaches that God is still healing people today. I don't believe the Bible teaches that everyone's supposed to be healed. But I believe that God still is in the miracle business. 
The people that believe that God stopped doing the miracles are using a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 and they're taking it out of context because in the context of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says tongues are going to be ceased and prophecy is going to stop, it's talking about the context of when we get to heaven. Well, now we see through a glass dimly, but one day we're going to see face to face and one day this is going to come to an end. But I believe without question the God is still healing people and God's still raising the dead and God is still doing these miracles where they're needed for the purpose of the gospel. Part of the reason why we don't see them anymore is because we're too busy trying to pack a pew in our own strength. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus would do a miracle and then he would tell the person, don't tell anybody? Isn't that interesting? Vance Havner years ago said, Jesus would perform miracles and then he wouldn't advertise them. He said the church today is advertising them and performing none. Because this problem's bigger than we think. We really don't understand the power of God. And we try to do things in our own strength. That's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world, but you have to let that light shine. And the only way I do that is daily acknowledge, I'm not sufficient for this. But God, you said you would. And I'm going to trust in the power of your word. And so I'm not going to try to help it. I'm just going to share it. And if I don't see any results, I'm still going to be faithful to share it because it's your word that does its work and it's not me and I don't want to help it. I believe your word's powerful. And if I see something, we'll give you the glory because it wasn't me. And if I don't see anything, I'll give you the glory because you know what? Satan's blinded their eyes. I'm sticking to the word. Now, What's happened to the church today? I've touched on it a little bit. Well, a quick look at Jesus' letters to the church in Re churches in Revelation will help us see. Go to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 5. To the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. By the way, who's that? It's Jesus. This is his words. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you can't bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I got this one thing against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Isn't that interesting? Sounds like he's praising them. Sounds like something we would say about somebody who's been a deacon for 50 years in our church. Oh, brother so-and-so's never gone weary. He's been hard working. He's toiled. He's, he's done things for the sake of Jesus. And the whole time that we're all going, give him a plaque. Jesus says, oh, by the way, um, all that stuff you just praised him for, I wasn't in it. I wasn't in it. When he says, you've... Abandon the love that you had at first. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. Put a bookmark here in Revelation. We're coming back. 
Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. When he said, I want to see you go back to do your works you did at first, it reminded me of what God said to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 8. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? In other words, I remember when you followed me, but you stopped following me. Oh, no, no, we were doing your stuff, God. No, I know, but you stopped following me. They didn't say, where's the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of desert and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land, and you made my heritage an abomination. And the priests even stopped asking, where's the Lord? Those who handled the law didn't even know me. The shepherds transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and they went after things that do not profit. Now, I know for some, you might not, hopefully you'll be able to remember this. Do you remember when you first got saved and you knew you knew nothing? All you wanted to do was just read and study and pray and let the Lord show you stuff, and He'd show you something. It was really cool, and you're so excited. By the way, my family will tell you this is true. I'm still that way with the Word of God. I get so excited. I, he shows me stuff every day almost, and, and I keep, I, I can't help it, I'm a preacher. I'm going to tell everybody, guess what he just showed me? My wife has said, she goes, Jim, do you know you tell me every Tuesday night you can't wait because of the stuff that God just showed you, and you can't wait to tell them on Tuesday night? You say that every week. I know, but I'll be excited about next time too, even as much. Do you remember when you were that way? But what happens, I don't think it's any accident that God lets us have children. Because when your babies were born, they remember when they just stared up at you and you melted because all they did was just want to just stare at you and they listened to your voice and they hear your voice. Even though their eyes didn't even focus really well, they'd hear your voice and they were like, oh, I know mom's voice and, and, and all. And then they get a little older. And all of a sudden, you're the stupidest person in the world. Oh, they still want you around because you have stuff they don't have. Money, keys, you have power they don't have that they know they need. It was interesting, I heard this Christian comedian one time say, he think God gave us, uh, he gave us uh, teenagers for this reason. He says, how, how does it feel to have someone created in your image that acts like you don't exist? What happens is, is all of a sudden we started to get some knowledge and we stopped realizing our need for Jesus to just walk with him and to follow him. And we said, well, have your kids ever said, I know. You ever, they ever said that to you? I know. Uh, whatever. What happens is we all do that with God. Without realizing it, we do it with God. We stop following. What's happened to the church? Same thing that Jesus said happened to the church at Ephesus. It's been happening to us. Well, let me tell you how it ends up. Go back to Revelation chapter 20. Sorry, chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Let me show you how it ends up. We're not going to look at all the churches tonight, but in Revelation chapter 3, we'll go to the last one, church at Laodicea. And I want you to stick with me here 
because you're going to hear rich and poor, and you're going to think money, and this has nothing to do with money. Actually, through the scriptures, you'll realize rich and poor most of the time is referring to spiritual wealth and spiritual poverty. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse four, uh, 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Man, I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. By the way, those are all descriptions of the lost. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And he was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. By the way, all the way through in each of these letters, even though he wrote to Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia and Laodicea, each of them it says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So everything he's saying to each of the churches applies to all the churches throughout the church age. What happened to the church? They were working hard, but they had walked away from Jesus. They had fallen away from Jesus and were doing the Christian thing in their own strength. And even to the point that they hadn't even gotten weary. They thought they were doing pretty good. And they had stopped trusting and walking by faith and letting Jesus show them what they were to do on a daily basis. And then it always gets all the way to the end of the church age, and this is where we're at where most of the churches think they're spiritual. But they don't realize they're nowhere near the Lord. And when Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, I believe it's referring to the rapture. When he takes those who are really his and those who aren't are going to be left behind. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. If you're cold, you realize where you were. If you're hot, of course, we want us to be hot. But because you're lukewarm and you think you're okay, by the way, how many of you have ever seen that awesome painting of Jesus in the garden knocking on the door with that scripture, Behold, I stand at the door and knock? And we've all noticed that on the door there's no handle on the outside. It only can be opened from the inside, all that. How many of you ever realized that Behold, I stand at the door and knock wasn't written to the whole world of lost people, although that is true. It was written to the church in the last days. Like I told you, in many of our churches today, the word has lost its centrality. The power of God is not being seen. Oh, we have an appearance of godliness. We think we're spiritual, but we're not walking with the Lord. It jumped off the page at me as I was praying over this passage. Why would Jesus have to tell the light of the world to shine? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Please understand this, understand this, that in the last days, 
there's going to come times of difficulty. People are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money. They're going to be proud. They're going to be arrogant. They're going to be abusive. They're going to be disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Film at 11. Folks, is that not a description of what's going on in the world? Oh, and by the way, don't think that the internet has made it worse. All the internet did was just reveal what's been in man's hearts all along. You know, in times past, um, if there was a press conference, it was a big deal because only someone important could hold a press conference. Do you realize now with the internet and Instagram and Twitter, everybody can hold a press conference? All it's doing is revealing what's in the heart of man. It's been there all along. But there's something different about those of us who are in Christ and Christ is in us. And it's not too late because Jesus says to the church, repent. Realize the height from which you've fallen. Go back to the things you did at first when all you wanted to do was sit at my feet and let me talk to you. And you couldn't help but tell people about it because you're so excited about who Jesus was in your life. What happened was is you, you became teenagers and you thought that you knew how to do it. Oh, you still wanted mom and dad around. You still wanted God around because he's got power we don't have and he can do things we can't do. But for the most part, we act like he's not in charge. And we pretend to be church people. I don't want that. I want, if I were to die tomorrow, and when the clapping stopped, I would, you totally missed that joke. Wow. I would want people to say, Jim was the same in the pulpit as he was in his home. Jim was the same in the pulpit as he was in the golf course. Jim was real. He didn't put on a show. That's how I want to live my life. I want people to see Jesus. So I let you see my warts and all, even when I tell too much stuff and you say, too much information, like you said tonight. That's okay. I'll give too much information for the rest of my life. But at the same time, if anything good comes out of me, you all know that wasn't Jim. Now, we have nine minutes left. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to not move into the next section, but I'm going to take you with me to Romans chapter 12. In the nine minutes we have left, go to Romans chapter 12. By the way, did anybody notice the slippery slope from... Working real hard for Jesus in your own strength to not being anywhere near Jesus and being clueless to the fact that he was nowhere around. It's not only a slippery slope, it's a dangerous one. How can we avoid this? I referenced it earlier. Go to Romans 12. Look at verses 1 through 21. 21 verses in nine minutes? That's nothing. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the way, back up. What is your worship? 
How is your worship of God seen according to this passage? What are you to be doing to worship God? No. Sorry? From this passage. Laying yourself, your flesh on the altar. Totally denying yourself, resting in Him, trusting in Him. That's your spiritual worship. Lord, what do you have in mind? What is your will? And then I'll do it. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Now, as he goes on now, he gets into specifics on how it's going to play out, what it's going to look like. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we all have different parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we're parts one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Now, let me stop real quick. What does that mean, if it's prophecy in proportion to your faith? Do you realize that there are some people that are gifted by God to be able to preach in front of 100,000, and there are others who would be absolutely uncomfortable in that setting, but they're really gifted to preach in front of a small group? You understand what I'm saying? There's those who are gifted to preach, but there are those who are gifted to preach in bigger settings. There are those who are gifted to preach in little settings, and you need to be preaching in proportion to the measure of faith that you've been given. I love it, Michael. That's excellent. The different writers of the Bible, each according to the gift that they were given. If I asked you to list the 12 apostles, you couldn't do it, but you could say Peter, James, and John. But that's okay. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each with a measure and the of faith that you've been given. If your gift is prophecy, proportion to your faith. If it's service and are serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, let love be genuine. Let it be real. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's putting ourselves down and others first. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That's why the apostles, even though they'd had that mountaintop moment, went immediately to pray and said, thank you for what you just did. And if you don't do it again, uh, it won't happen. Don't rest in past successes. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I made a little list here in my notes of this section real quick. What's this going to look like? This being dependent on the Lord on a daily basis, laying my flesh on the altar and surrendering to His plan for my life. Um, I'm to lay my flesh down every day and wait for and trust God's Spirit in me. I'm not going to try to climb the ladder for more attention, but to live the life that God's chosen for me. 
I'm going to love others, love others, love others. How? I'm going to show others honor. I'm going to show hospitality and be generous. I'm going to bless those who persecute me and not to seek revenge. By the way, why did the Bible say in, the, in what we saw in Matthew 5 that we were to rejoice when we're persecuted? Do you remember? Because great is our reward in heaven. And because they, that's, they persecuted the prophets who were before us. In other words, if they're persecuting you because of your faith in Christ, that means they're seeing Jesus in you. That should make you happy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I remember when I was a kid growing up in church, my parents always told us, whenever God blesses us, don't tell anyone. No, seriously. This is what we were taught. We didn't get this type of a blessing when we were a kid, but we say we got a cruise. And God blessed us with a cruise. We weren't allowed to tell anybody we got a cruise. You know why? Because the reaction of the church was, oh, it must be nice. Sure, wish God would bless me with a cruise. Maybe we're paying our pastor too much. You ever heard that kind of reaction of people? The Bible says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to weep with those who weep. Romans 12, verse 12 says this. We're to be constant in prayer. That's what's going to make the difference, folks. You're to be in the Word and in prayer. By the way, has anybody noticed that almost every Sunday school lesson goes back to Bible study and prayer? The two things that we avoid the most. And we wonder why Jesus has to tell the church, let your light shine. Oh, by the way, I put at the bottom of my notes, someone who looks like this will definitely point people to God. That's gonna, they're going to see the light. Now, how many of you are ready to go out and go do this? Be careful. If by doing this you mean go spend some time in the Word and pray and believe that God is going to do through you what He said He would, then yes, go do that. But if you're going to go try to shine your light for Jesus, you're going to come up with your own ideas, and some of them are going to be wacky. I love you. Christians, stop doing the wacky stuff and thinking that that'll get people's attention. Just do what He's asked you to do and trust that His Word is able to do what it's supposed to do. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.